Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Recruitment Leadership Podcast. And this one is um, spanning continents. I am joined today by Sasha Kaufman. Welcome, Sasha. Good Thank to you have very you much. Yeah, great to um, be here. And Sasha's uh, recording with me through the wonders of modern technology. He's in uh, Australia um, and it's uh, in the evening and I'm in a wintry morning here in Manchester, UK. So um, a little bit of background about um, Sasha before we begin. Um, Sasha's career began in international consulting firms. He's been involved himself directly in a uh, recruitment type startup, a digital marketplace for labour. Um, he's led internal talent acquisition for one of Australia's top four banks and now works as an independent consultant um, uh, doing leadership development and search. And he's worked with companies that everyone who's listening will have heard of, like 20th Century Fox, Nestle, and Johnson & Johnson. Um, so, Sasha, great to have you on board. We're talking today about leadership, and we're going to come at it from multiple angles. Um, searching for leaders, the challenges for leaders, um, the, uh, the entering the, the leadership recruitment market or search market. Um, so I think there's something here for pretty much everybody uh, who would like to get a you know involved in those more strategic strategic positions personally or um, as a talent um, as a as a talent acquirer, if you will. Okay, so. Sasha, can I just start there? You've been in search, you've established businesses, and you've worked as an executive leadership coach. How does all that experience give you a helpful perspective for for our audience, which is recruitment agency founders and directors, um, who may be at quite an early stage in their journey? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, It's lovely to be there. And the only thing you missed in my introduction is, um, you actually are residing in my birthplace. Uh, I was born in Manchester a long time ago and we made the long trek out to Melbourne. Um, so uh, I know exactly uh, what it's like where you are and it would be a very cold time of the year. Um, look, yeah, look, I have had a, a diverse experience um, working over 25 years now um, and it's quite scary when I think back uh, that it is that long. Um, but you know, the learnings and the journey along the way have been fascinating. Um, I, like probably most people, have had some amazing triumphs and I've had some incredible challenges, um, both personally and professionally. And really interesting when I reflect lots in my coaching work um, on the challenges because that's where the bulk of the learning comes from. 
um, not just for me but for everyone. When bad things happen, we stop and we reflect and we learn. When good things happen, we tend to sort of overlook them and become somewhat complacent. Um, so I've definitely had some, some, some real challenges and there's been lots of learning from that. Um, I, I might just point out that I'm, I'm not actually working in recruitment right now. So I've worked in recruitment both on the agency side more early on in my career and then uh, on an internal front, like you mentioned, across one of Australia's leading banks. Um, and so I've worked with recruiters on the organisational side but I've also been a candidate, and I think when you and I initially spoke in our introduction, that was some, somewhat of interest, and I think we'll explore some questions around what it's like being a candidate um, on sort of the senior end. Um, so when it comes to sort of the experience and how that might be helpful as a perspective for people in recruitment agencies and sort of the young founders maybe starting up, I think like with any organisation when I'm coaching, it's there are a couple of things. Firstly, it's about understanding your why, you know, what draws you to this work. And that needs to be really apparent for your clients, you know, both your, when I speak about clients, I'm talking the individual candidates and I'm also talking your organisations, you know, your passion, your passion for this work. It, it needs to be really clear and resonate. When you're joining the industry too, it's, it's, it is a broad industry. Um, so, for you, what problems exist in the industry? How do you know that? And how will you solve those problems better? What skills and capabilities are required? And how will you how well will you perform them or can you perform them? So with that, there's there's actually a big vulnerable self-awareness piece around, you know, they're the skills and attributes required. How well can I do those? How do I know? Elicit feedback. Know your audiences. This is point three. Know your audiences. Who are you targeting and why are you targeting those audiences, both candidates, organisations, levels, industries, sectors, whatever it may be? Why? What's in it for you? Is it just a passion? Is it interest? Is it because you've worked there? Um, is it because you're chasing dollars? But, but really know your audiences um, really well. And when I say that, it's the critical question is what's important to them? organizationally and individually. Last but not least, um, the recruitment market, as we know, here in Australia, I'm sure in the UK and globally, is pretty flooded. So how can you become positively memorable? And I really emphasize the word positively. Uh, a lot of recruiters that I have worked with, unfortunately, have been memorable, but for the wrong reasons. Um, and I'll give you an example and I'll, I'll, I'll name him. Um, John Burgess is a guy I've known for 20 years now since my PwC days. Uh, and he's a guy that works in networking and connecting. Uh, and he's one of the most kind human beings you could ever possibly meet. He has time and gives time to everyone. And he has a mantra which he lives, which is who matters, everybody matters. And John sets the bar, I think, when it comes to being positively memorable his generosity in connecting people voluntarily, in following up um, in real time with meaningful and insightful comments and feedback and so forth is, is just extraordinary. So that, that's probably, you know, around your question around sort of the experience that I bring and then the, the, the advice or the ideas that I have for, you know, the young founders looking to really establish themselves in the industry. Um, given right, that so it is a highly three, competitive market. 
It certainly is. I've got so three interesting things there for someone who's looking to establish themselves, perhaps in executive search. Understand your why, um, know your audience, and then be positively memorable. And actually, I'm I'm sure listeners will be sort of mentally applying that to themselves right now. Um, it really echoes something I said in my recent book about, you know, we're as you say, we're such a sort of oversupplied industry now that. Um, you have to be really, really careful before you start a new business, I think, to be clear that you're, there is something that you are going to do that doesn't already exist and, and is well supplied in the world. You know, if it's, it doesn't matter which part of the market you're aiming at, what, what are you able to do that will be better, faster, cheaper even than, than what currently exists? And can you prove that it will be? Have you got Absolutely. any structure or process around that? rather than just, you know, hot air assertion that you will be better. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That, that, that point of differentiation in a flooded market, you know, that we, we know, you know, the talent market is always busy. Um, and even during COVID, you know, there were massive changes that were going on and things were suddenly done differently, but it's always busy. So whilst you might not necessarily be bringing a new idea to the market, it is about saying, this is how I can solve your problems better, to use some of your examples. Um, and, it's, and it's really important that that point of differentiation is both stated and then enacted. Mm, okay. So we'll, later on in this um, podcast, we'll, we'll flip back to the issues of leadership as they affect directly people who run recruitment businesses, but still thinking about the leadership search part of the market there are certainly many recruiters i know who are now looking to penetrate into properly executive level recruitment but very often they find that that the most elite corridors of power are still closed to them in other words that um that they find that no matter how good they're offering or their connections there's a whole different um group of people who get to speak to the C-suite, yeah, um, that, uh, you know, the different rules apply and it, you, can't, you can't simply introduce yourself and have a compelling argument. So these things remain closed off to them. And I'm wondering when you've, because you've been approached yourself by many um, executive search firms, what, what mistakes do, do they make? And what are the fundamental approaches, other than what you've already mentioned, that you would advise people to take? So any stories you've got around this would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Look, I think it's a great question and I'm really glad that you you sort of brought this up. Um, as I said, you know, I've worked... I've worked in recruiting um, on on both sides, agency, internal, um, and in more recent years, um, I've worked at exec level, um, even as a you know two times CEO, um, and and sort of worked on the internal side where I'm working collaboratively with recruiters who are solving you know really challenging uh, problems for me, and there are you know, enormous mistakes that I see all the time in recruiters. I think the key thing that I'd like to say about the C-suite is, or the, or, or the, you know, sort of senior executives is that the way that we do business, and certainly here in Australia, senior people work very heavily on a relational basis, not on a transactional basis. 
And I think certainly if I reflect on my own career as I've gone more and more senior, you know, the relationships that I've formed and developed and deeply connected with people, um, in some cases many years ago and in some cases even in more recent time, but really good meaningful connections, they are the people that um, I embrace within my my circle. So I think, you know, in, in recruitment, it is a highly transactional business. And I think the mistakes that I see very commonly are that they're using that transactional approach at senior executive level when it's much more around relational. So the question then becomes, well, how do you build those relationships, right? So we're not there. So in my experience, um, recruiters who are trying to break in, listen briefly and transact when they have a very current need, but completely ignore you when they don't. And again, I just want to reiterate that this is my experience that I'm talking about, not as not on the whole or I'm not speaking on behalf of others. They don't on the candidate side, I don't feel that they really focus on the building a quality talent bank, which could serve them well in the future as a leading candidate for a role and even as a key decisional hirer. So the the big overarching message here is get out of that transactional mindset and into a relational one. So you asked for some stories. So here are some, uh, I've got three stories and and none of them are overly positive, but this is just around some of the mistakes. Um, Someone sent me a role a few years ago, um, (laughs) 10 plus years ago, which sounded quite interesting. And I I contacted the recruiter who I didn't know. I got him on the phone and he simply asked me to send in my details, my resume and my LinkedIn. Now, in the job ad that I was referred to, it suggested calling in to inquire discreetly if you had further questions about the role. And yet, without answering a single question, he just said, send in my my details. I eventually sent in my details and um, I never had the opportunity to meet with him. He never even acknowledged that I'd sent in my details. There was no sort of thank you, you know, you're on file, et cetera, or you've been unsuccessful. There was just no contact. Now, the, the tragic thing about this story is that same recruiter reached out to me probably two years later when I was in a global, very senior role and heard that I may be hiring. And I remember him calling me calling me up. He actually got me on the phone and he he acted like he was my best friend, like he'd known me for years. We had a great relationship. And we'd only transacted in that five minutes a couple of years ago, and then I heard nothing from him. Um, And he then proceeded to tell me that he'd heard that I might be recruiting in my area and how he had some fantastic candidates that I remember his words would be perfect for you. Now, we have never spoken about me or about my organisation or about my role, and yet he had perfect candidates for me. It, it, it was one of those moments. Um, needless to say, the phone call ended abruptly. Um, another recruiter got my name uh, from someone else uh, through their networking and, and called me and we spent all of five minutes on the phone with this recruiter telling me how much a particular company, it was a global startup in, in quite a fast scale-up mode, wanted to pay someone to fill this role and they just couldn't fill this role and that I should do it. He didn't ask me one question apart from what I wanted to earn and then he couldn't answer my question on why this was such a hard role to fill. Um, Needless to say, it also didn't go anywhere. And then finally, a really well-known HR recruiter judged from my resume 
that I would be more suited to consulting than working in a senior HR role, which I'd also already done twice in my career. But again, without asking me what I wanted or preferred to do, she just made assumptions based on my profile. Um, uh, these, and and these, where she thought it would be easiest to, to pitch you into. Yeah, yeah? exactly. Okay. So, again, that, that, that mindset of, you know, I look at a profile, I, I bucket you in this bucket or this bucket or this bucket, what's simpler for me, rather than, again, back to what I talked about before, that intimate connection and finding out about the person, what drives them, what their motivations are, where they want to be in their career. All these stories, sadly, are from really experienced recruiters trying to recruit really senior roles. Mm. So yeah, uh, did, did you want to ask anything? I, I, I was just, you have, yeah. You've just made me I, – I, I can feel my blood pressure rising yeah. now because <laughs> um, I get an average now of about two a day approaches via LinkedIn – from recruiters, uh, rec to recs typically, but sometimes they're or sometimes they are providing um, the suppliers to the recruitment industry, and you can tell that those people have done the most high level search. Look, if you if you just do a search for directors in staffing and hiring in the UK, you will get me, even though I no longer run a recruitment business. Yeah, and they uh, they write to me. And just say, hey, I've got loads of clients who, who would really be really interested in hiring you. Now, I know that, you know, I sure I have loads of experience, but I don't think you really have loads and loads of clients who want to employ me because, you know, I'm pretty senior. And because um, I now work as a, as a non-exec and independent board advisor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they... And they, they, then it will be followed up is typically by an automated sequence message now that says, hey, you didn't get back to me. At least you know, they get quite needy saying, at least please let me know if you're not interested and why, mm. <laughs> as if I've been rude. Yep. And when when I very occasionally follow one up and say, okay, tell me what you've got. Um, I never hear anything. Uh, so... Mm. I, what worries me most of all is not that these inexperienced recruiters are trying this. They've been given the tools, whatever. Yeah. It's that their bosses do not know what they're doing. Mm. And the, the in effect, the damage they're creating for their brand reputation mm. in a relatively small community, which mm. will probably remember those names, or find Absolutely. them in their LinkedIn chats later yeah. on and yeah. think, what an idiot. Um, yeah. So you made some really good points. I just want to summarize them for my audience. Sure. This market is relational, not transactional. Um, and uh, and I would just add to that, relies very heavily on personal referral, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Personal yeah, it referral does. and recommendation. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this, guys, you know, think about how much more you can make of personal referrals and recommendations. And second, you said this is about long-term relations and not um, and listening carefully. You're going to have to invest more time in interviewing people that you're not going to be placing next week. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and um, and then in maintaining contact with them. So this is a this leadership um, uh, leadership attraction is about networks, not not just sales, and uh, having those networks that will pay back in future. They're well mm. worth spending some time cultivating. Mm. Um, 
without the hope of immediate gain. Yeah. Yeah, and and I and and you know the word networks is 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 important here, and I really want to distinguish between, you know, a person that you've connected with on LinkedIn but never had a conversation with, and so forth, versus someone that you know, um, and then again next level up, someone that you know intimately, um, and and you know what I mean by intimately, you know, in the in the smart sense, in that I know lots about them, what their preferences are, how they like to think, the type of work environment, um, jobs that are of interest. So, you know, we're not just talking about going through LinkedIn, like to your story, we're talking about leveraging networks of yours who would be advocates for you. Um, to your latter part of the original question too, and, and some of the things you've touched on. So what's critically important in my view is to show a clear intent to get to know the person and the organization intimately. And the word I use in all of my coaching is curiosity. You uh -huh. have to be curious. Use curiosity as a superpower. Why? People love to talk about themselves or their companies. So give them the platform to do so. You know, in this sales mindset, although you are in a sales role, the best thing that you can do is listen. Don't show up and throw up and just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I've got people for you. Um, I've got, you know, I've got the perfect solution. I know you're hiring. I've got people for you. It's show that curiosity in the people. Ask great questions. Come prepared. Be brave. Dig deep. Explore triumphs and failures. And I talked about failures early on. Failures is where most of the learning takes place. And that's where if you create that safe space, these people will be vulnerable with you and they'll share about their um, uh, more you know, challenging times, but also the learning and the growth, which is so important. Explore skills and capabilities, absolutely. But passions, don't overlook passions. What drives you? Where do your interests lie? And I think that's super topical right now, our preferred ways of working. Coming out of the pandemic right now, what are your preferred ways of working? How are you working now? Are you working flexibly? Is it important to you? What are your personal circumstances? A key question um, that I used to ask in recruitment or even when I was doing it myself, you know, hiring myself is, what would it take to leave your current employer? I don't want to make assumptions. I want you to tell me. And it's not all about money, especially in this post-pandemic era. Sometimes it's about a slower pace or having more flexibility or managing a smaller team or removing P&L responsibility, scaling down, not scaling up. So again, don't just make the assumption when you're looking at someone's profile that what's the next step up? It's what's the next step for the individual. And that's where the coaching experience and asking effective questions and then leaning in with curiosity, I think, serves really well, particularly when recruiting at the very senior levels. Mm, okay, some really good points there. Thank you so much. Um, I was just while you were talking about the, the ability to be curious and to listen, mm. I was thinking um, about a, an. A, uh, um, the Rec Agency Expo I was speaking at last year. Uh, and it's a conference and exhibition, obviously, for the industry. And what I observed was that so many people who were attending the conference were completely wasting an opportunity because facing their screens, you know, at any breakout session or at any moments they had in between 
um, attending talks, they weren't speaking to anybody. And yes, it's it can be serendipitous. I, in fact, met um, some people from a particular supplier who I just got talking to. And later on, they became a, you know, a, a, a very helpful partner for referrals um, to me, but only because I spent the time, you know, yep. Um, yep. learning about their business. Absolutely. Those, those, those break times in, in conferences, you know, whether it's 15-minute toilet stop or a morning tea or a lunch, are absolutely gold for networking, not in the transactional sense, but for making actual meaningful connections with interesting people. Again, approaching it from the curious mindset, who are you? What do you do? And from John Burgess's mindset of, well, who matters? Everybody matters. Give people time and space. Um, you know, so I totally agree with you um, about that. Our phones can be uh, such a such a brain drainer. You know, it's so easy to take the phone out of the pocket on the break, do some scrolling, do some emailing, um, back to that transactional when you just have an incredible amount um, of talented people in the room that you have the opportunity to know. I do wonder if a lot of people who are just a bit too shy to have that open conversation mm. use their phone and say, but look, I'm being very efficient. And they're actually using it as something to hide behind. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's yeah. Uh, probably, probably not a, a great a great character trait to have in the world of recruitment, um, being shy or, or um, I, I don't want to say shy because, you know, you can be incredibly introverted and still be an, a great um, uh, recruiter. But... You know, people who don't have the curiosity or people who aren't interested in people when this is a people industry and there's people physically in the room or digitally um, and not making the inquiries and connections, I think that would be a bit of a red flag for someone working in recruitment. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so let's just look at this from a slightly different angle now. Um, recruitment business owners who may themselves be trying to attract some more experienced heads uh, into their businesses. So, um, you know, if you look across the whole of the recruitment industry, it's quite ageist with a bias towards younger people, right? And um, thinking now not purely out of well-intentioned EDI, but about the advantages of bringing in people who have networks, who have long-standing relationships, um, the, you know, there, there may be some people listening who are trying to attract more experienced recruiters to to within their own search firm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You've been approached by several search firms. Mm. Um, you you've touched on some of the ways that they should uh, they should should be approaching more experienced people. What what do you think would attract people of experience back into the the search profession? Um, or to join a particular firm? Yeah, another great question, and I'm glad you mentioned the EDI, the equity, diversity and inclusion piece, because it's a topic that I um, that I do love. And I think when we spoke in our introduction too, um, yes, I have been approached uh, in the last couple of years about the possibility of sort of returning to the industry. And it's interesting as to what might be attractive, and we can touch on my profile. But when I look at recruitment um, and, and I'm including executive search in that, there are definitely specific skills and capabilities that are required, many of which I would describe as the technical skills of recruitment 
and technical skills can always be learned. But this is a people industry. So if you're in this industry, you need to love working with people, which we know at times can be unpredictable, right? People have default behaviours or working patterns which may differ from our own, and that can be a, a sense of tension if not understood. So recruitment is also about sales, but as we've touched on, sales in a relational sense, creating meaningful connections, less so transactions, between two parties by understanding alignment and synergies. From a DEI perspective, bringing in people with real commercial experience other than just recruiting, I think is a huge advantage. And I've got a great case study here. Um, a very dear friend of mine who is a former uh, chief human resources officer. Um, mm -hmm. She's worked globally with some incredible brands globally. Uh, including Visa, for example. She's worked uh, in, in Asia. She's worked in the UK. She's worked in Australia. Um, she knows what it takes to be in a senior HR role. Um, and she's made the transition in her late 40s into executive search um, with a focus on HR. She really understands um, the the language of HR. She knows how to liaise with the C-suite. She knows the truths and the pressure points in a role within that sort of environment. Um, so for her to learn to be a recruiter in the technical sense was not a challenge for her. She brought the passion. She had so much experience. And today she is one of the best, most highly regarded recruiters. Although she focuses on HR, she still refers people um, for, for other roles at sort of senior levels. And I've seen classic examples of that, you know, people coming from marketing, from, um, you know, uh, IT and so forth, kind of going, you know what, I really like the people side of it and I want to take my industry experience and work in it. I think it's phenomenal when harnessed really well uh, and I'm all for it. I work in executive coaching and leadership development. So my network is very large across a large decision maker base. And, you know, th those decisions include who are we hiring and how do we get them, i.e., you know, which recruiters, if we're using recruiters, do we use? Um, I think what people are attracted to, for my sense, is the coaching experience, certainly the networks. Um, and then what's in it for me is I go, well, I love working with people. That's been at the core of my 25 years experience. From the first day I worked into management, walked into management consulting, it was change management and the people side of change. So people has always been the core for me. I love relational sales and creating positive connections between people. And I've become over many years, similar to John Burgess, I'm the go-to connector. I'm the go-to do you know man or can you help connect me? And I love doing that. Um, and if I were to rejoin the sector, I'd want to be asked about how my experience can be leveraged and all the questions that I talked about earlier in that, you know, what is my why? How can I add impact? Who is my audience? What drives me? Uh, what are my preferred ways of working? Again, those questions that we touched on earlier are really important in sort of considering is, you know, executive search uh, an avenue that would be right for me, leveraging the experience. So I hope that answers your question. Thank I you. rambled a little lots, bit. Yeah. No, lots of great stuff to think about there. I think the other thing is that if you are 
recruiting someone from a um, to work, you know, with a with a leadership background or a more senior background, possibly to work on leadership type search in your business, is that you simply cannot apply the same metrics to them as you might to a more volume transactional market, which should go without saying. But you know, I I have I have myself been talking to people um, who who may have been interested in recruiting me uh, as a you know as an MD or as a, as a senior leader into their business, but they 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 want me to to actually be you know responsible for a billing line as well, and and you know that's not where I add value anymore. Um, so anyway, let's move on. So one of the things that that you pointed out when we spoke previously is that executive coaching is really an integral part of executive search. Yeah, that um, that really for a successful leadership placement, there's a, a lot you have to do before, during, and indeed after that placement to make sure it's a, a, a total success for both parties. Can you just do you just comment on that and give us some recommendations about what you think is best practice in that area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is critical to me and, you know, I come back to uh, talking about being a differentiated recruiter in the market, particularly at the pointy end. And I think those that um, uh, bring in and involve some element of coaching is absolutely critical. And, and here's why. Um, I've seen many cases where successful people made a decision to leave their roles, either on their own accord or persuaded by a recruiter, only then to fail. The new culture, the problem that they were solving, or the relationships within that new environment had not been fully explored. So countless cases of successful here, unsuccessful here. Um, It happens all the time. I've been in that situation myself. When I've made a move uh, and I hadn't done the due diligence and I assumed that my own success and triumphs in this organisation were going to hold me in good stead. So I've been in that position and I've seen it uh, so many times. So many senior people, particularly particularly those who've been in an organisation, one organisation for a really long time, I find they interview poorly and that's understandable. They haven't had to interview in such a long period of time. So again, you know, really successful people, C-suite level, um, I'm coaching many of them around transition coaching. Uh, I love that. It's a, it's a core part of what I do. And when it comes to interviewing, and I do interview, I interview them myself, then I prepare them for interviews with uh, either the client or the recruiter. So many of them collapse um, or don't even realise that they, they interview poorly. They don't inter- realise that they're rambling or they're not answering the question. It's just a skill, right? Interviewing well is a skill. And if you haven't done that for a long time because you've been in a role a long time, don't assume that just because they're in a senior role that they can do it. So where does coaching play a role? So that's a great example. Um, coaching around the why the decision to move. Do you have and does the candidate have really good clarity on what it is that they want to do next, what that, what it is that they are looking for, um, and then coaching them on how do they achieve this. As I said, or I touched on, coaching them to interview effectively, coaching them to be able to reflect articulately on their passions, 
and their drivers. Then let's assume the move does happen. How does that transition happen smoothly? It is such a vulnerable time for a senior person, if we use that same example, being in an organisation for 10 plus years, um, is well known, has tremendous relationships, has earned the trust, has got the runs on the board to step into a brand new environment when they're literally the new kid on the block and they have to prove themselves and they have to start from scratch. Um, that is really, really challenging and something that these people are not used to and, again, is a huge red flag and people can be set up for, for failure. So how can you, as the recruiter, play a coaching role to help them with that transition? And I touch on that because although organisations technically are responsible for onboarding and so forth, there are those companies that do it well and there are those who do it really poorly. And again, I've been a recipient of both. Um, some just suck at it. So playing an active role to work with the organisation and the candidate to help that transition work well is good for all parties. It's a huge differentiator and I think would make good recruiters stand out from others. The Shrek firms do this um, somewhat okay. Um, you know, they're often different people. So, you know, the person that's acting in the recruiting role is not necessarily acting in the coaching role. But the core of what we're saying remains is that the coaching is seen as critical. And so they, they, they tack on that coaching role to aid in the transition because ultimately we want, we want this um, partnership uh, and new relationship to succeed including for the recruiter, organisational, individual and the recruiter. We all want it to, to succeed. So I think taking an active role is critically important and having some basic fundamental coaching skills allows you also to continue and build that trust and relationship with the candidate, which will hold you in good stead. It does the same thing on the organisational level where you're liaising in a meaningful way with the organisation to check in and see what you can do to aid that transition, to show interest and that curiosity as to how is this going, is there anything that we need to be aware of, can we help, can we lean in, can we support. So, again, that's, that's what I'm talking about, about building this relational mindset where it's ongoing and continuous rather than cool, candidate's place, they're in. I'll move on. I won't speak to the organisation. I won't speak to the candidate. I'll just go on to the next hire. That doesn't work at the senior end of the market, certainly not here in Australia, certainly not with me. So true. And I, I do think that whether it's the recruiter or a you know a, a separate qualified coach, there's, there's this critical period of like the first 100 days in their new appointment where yeah. actually, you know, there are definitely things that, you're going to need to to give us provide a sounding board for the newly placed candidate, but also their new employer, because mm -hmm. of just misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, you know that shift in culture where the the priorities, the communication style, the um, expected amount of communication flow both ways, um, and um, you know checking points and expectations just are never verbalised. Um, there's a there's an understanding that that everyone's so senior that they should somehow just intuit these things, you know. Um, and if, for example, someone had moved from a uh, an organisation with a oh, very simply, you know, with quite a hierarchical 
um, culture and they'd been senior there, then they wouldn't necessarily feel the need to communicate differently in another organization which might be much more matrixed uh, correct networking yeah correct um, i love i love what you i love what you sort of surmise there and and you know i just want to reiterate that for the candidate in particular a, a candidate stepping into a new environment particularly when they're well established in their former is at such a vulnerable point in their life um, it is in, I, I don't know if i'm speaking to an audience that has been in this position but you know, from coming from where you have the answers to everything and you know everyone and you've got those relationships to suddenly you don't, coaching someone to be openly vulnerable and to say it's okay to put up your hand when they haven't been used to doing that and haven't needed to is really, really critical and will aid in their success. You know, using vulnerability and the need to ask for help and questions as a strength rather than as a weakness, you know, and that's a very different mindset shift from from someone that's so well established and, and has not needed to ask many questions. Mm, so true. Um, Sasha, masses of really helpful stuff there. So just to sum up for our listeners, we've talked about um, the, the, the fundamental differences between the executive search market and um, where in reality transactional recruitment is now. Um, and there's definitely some things that can be learned in that part of the market from the executive search market, I would suggest. Um, so the fact that it's relation, relationship driven, the fact that you need to invest time up front for people you are not going to place next week. Um, and the fact that you need to listen really carefully to those candidates because their career may not be what would be an apparent you know, straight linear progression um, at this stage for you. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just. Sorry to cut you off, but I just want to yeah. lean in and use the word again. It's I refer to this as leaning in with curiosity. Curiosity being the superpower. Um, you know, l- be incredibly interested, all ears. Don't think about your next question, but just really listen to what organisations and candidates are really looking for. Thank you. That sums it up beautifully, Sasha. You've made some really interesting points. I think some of our listeners may well want to follow up with you um, sure. and talk some more. So how should they reach out to you? Yeah, I'm I'm actually having a website redeveloped at the moment, so it's offline, but LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you're happy to share my LinkedIn, I'd be more than happy to respond. Um, I do try and make time for everybody. So um, it might not be immediate, but I will certainly respond to anyone that reaches out. So um, in the the short term, LinkedIn. We'll put your LinkedIn link in the notes for this. But um, guys, if you just want to get on there quickly, it's Sasha, S-A-C-H-A, Kaufman, K-O-F-F-M-A-N. I have got that right, Sasha, yeah? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I've been Alison Humphreys of Recruitment Leadership, bringing you this perspective um, on executive search and how to how that market's different and how to get into it. I hope many of you have found it of an interest. And um, do subscribe. Thank you for joining us again. And please listen next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk 
referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn, where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.